This episode brought to you by Audible, and today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash sports. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 86. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever platform that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. As the speed of society and life just seems to get faster and faster each and every day, it's easy to lose perspective and appreciate the things that we have. But our guest this episode, Bob Herrick, doesn't take things for granted. Bob has been covering the game of golf for over 25 years now, where you can find him on ESPN and ESPN.com as a senior golf writer, and also he served as the president for the Golf Writers Association of America. Now, before joining ESPN in 1997, he began his career in journalism, covering more than just golf with the St. Petersburg's Times, and his love for golf can be traced back to his childhood, where he would spend his high school days as a caddy at the Inverness Golf Club, and he even earned the prestigious Evans Scholarship given annually to caddies, where he then attended Indiana University. Here's episode 86 with Bob Herrig. Bob, thanks so much for joining us, and I greatly appreciate your time. And now there doesn't seem to really be a off season for golf. Now it might change a little bit with the new schedule, but in terms of an off season for you, I mean, do you even have an off season with your job? Uh, I have a little bit more of an off season, I think, than the players do, um, just simply due to the nature of ESPN. You know, this time of year. Uh, even though the new golf season has begun, uh, it's a hectic time in the sports world. Uh, you know, the NFL and college football are in full flight. Uh, Major League Baseball playoffs, the NHL and NBA have started. So there's a lot going on in the sports world, and it's hard to get much traction with golf right now. And so for me, it's a little bit more of a downtime. But uh, as you noted, there really isn't any in golf that, uh I think that's I think that's uh, that's not great for fans of golf in a weird way because I think you need to get a little time away from it. It it stokes the fires, you know, when when people can miss it for a little while. But when you're when you're starting your new season 11 days after the previous one ended, and you have a Ryder Cup in between, you know, there's there's really no chance to take a breath. Exactly. And so, do you even get a chance to take a breath? <laughs> I mean, you know, for me, there's been fallout since the Ryder Cup. You know, uh, now that we're into the new season, uh, there's bound to be things that come up to react to. Uh, obviously, Johnny Miller's uh, retirement announcement here recently. You know, some of the named guys are going to be playing some of these fall events. And uh, if, if they do anything, you, you want to sort of note that and, and, and be in touch with it. Uh, you know, you're going to have the Tiger Phil match. Uh, that's going to, you know, create some attention and buzz. 
Tiger will play his own tournament in the Bahamas uh, right after Thanksgiving. Uh, so yeah, there's still things to, you know, to 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 sort of stay on top of, and uh, you know, I, now the other sports have in their off seasons they have transactions. You know, there's trading, there's drafts, there's you know, there's free agency. You know, golf doesn't have that, but what golf does have is they still have competition that counts. And uh, I think it's hard for the average fan even to sort of get fully invested in, you know, a golf season that never really quite ends. I would agree, and I I think there is that uh, point that you made. There needs to be this anticipation and uh, this situation that it seems like from the other sports, there's always this hope. Uh, Your team's going to be able to do something that's Re, regroup over the off season, and you'll be able to come back for this new season. But with golf, it just doesn't seem that way. And now, are you a fan of the the new schedule that they've come up with? And as far as you know, that it's ending earlier in the year. Yeah, I mean, I what they've done with the new schedule going forward was a good idea. They needed to get the FedEx Cup playoffs away from football. I mean, football has been the elephant in the room for golf for, you know, for forever. And, you know, when they came up with the FedEx Cup playoffs, the idea was to end the season earlier to, to avoid football. But yet, what did they do? They had, they had uh, two of their, at least two of their playoff events going up against the start of the NFL season, which made no sense. You know, you have these huge tournaments with, with huge, great fields, and, you know, from the sponsor standpoint, the tour standpoint, the ratings were down. People were not as, as engaged because college, and college football and pro football were going on, and that was what they were into. So now that's going to all end sooner. That will end before Labor Day beginning next year. But that doesn't mean the new season will, will wait. I mean, there's only looking like there's going to be a two-week break. Yes, exactly. And, you know, it's, in other sports, What's what's really big when the new season begins? I mean, opening day is sort of celebrated. Certainly it is in baseball. The NFL has a special game on the Thursday night of the first week to kick off their new season. You know, for golf, we just went right into the Safeway Open. I mean, there was no fanfare with it. I mean, a lot of people didn't even realize, well, what's going on? Is it a tournament? <laughs> well, yeah, it's the, it's the first tournament of the new year. And I just wish they would even give themselves a month. It's unrealistic to think they're going to take two or three months off. And, you know, there is some, there is some downtime in December, you know, between, between the last PGA Tour, official PGA Tour event, and then the start again in January in Hawaii. But still, it's, um, I mean, that's a, that's a period of time when, when I'm not sure that, that people are, are fully engaged in sports anyway. The, the other sports are kind of, in their lull. I mean, baseball's over with. The NHL and the NBA are sort of in the midst of their long season. And so that time is when people, you know, take a break from sports. But even college football takes a break from sports, from from their games in December before the bowl game. You know, I, I just would like to see golf take a full month, the PGA Tour, take a full month after the Tour Championship. Let everybody relax for a few minutes. Uh, and then, and then you can start gearing back up for the new season. Give us a chance to promote the rookies or the new storylines or what have you. And there's, there's no chance. I mean, uh, 
I, I'm, I'm getting back from the Ryder Cup in France and, and, and can barely think about the fact that, <laughs> wow, the next day there's a, new, there's a new season beginning. I agree, and I think there is, again, you mentioned it and I even talked about it as well, let's have some type of anticipation of a new season. But now you've covered this sport for over 25 years and as a journalist, so going back into your journey, what was your first passion, sports or journalism? It was definitely sports. You know, I grew up playing sports and following them. I was a big baseball and football fan. Uh, I got into golf as a caddy when I was a teenager. I'm from uh, the Midwest and did that in my summers and all through high school and into college. Um, Covering golf became sort of... uh, That that just came with it. I I had decided I was going to go into journalism. I I wanted to go into sports journalism. Earlier in my career, I covered a lot of college football, a lot of college basketball, uh, into Final Fours and bowl games and the Super Bowl and the World Series. And I've done all those things in sports, but it just sort of like golf was always sort of there as like a as as like a passion. And and it's you know it's a sport that that uh, is a niche sport. I think it requires, you know, I think it requires a different kind of person to cover it. I mean, I, 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 I talk to people who are into NASCAR. Like, I would have a hard time covering NASCAR because I'm just not as into that sport. I could go cover football and basketball and baseball because I, I follow them a lot closer. The same is, with, is for golf. I think you have to have, a, a passion for it. You have to really, really like it to want to cover it because there's a lot of things to dive into in the game. It's not just the players, it's equipment, it's courses, it's architecture, it's, uh, it's the re- recreational part for some. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of aspects to golf, but I, I think you better really enjoy it and, and be into it if you want to cover it. And so what do you feel are some of the, the challenges for you as a journalist covering golf? Well, I think in a big picture uh, sense today, you know, it's it's uh, it's finding its its place in, in a big sports world. Uh, you know, the NBA and the NFL are such huge sports in, in the overall scheme of things, and and finding a place for golf in there can be difficult. Uh, you know, and 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 getting people. Um, who are sports fans but not hardcore golf fans interested, you know. And what, what, what you find is, is that there's obviously that window narrows greatly when it's, when it's not the majors or when it's not Tiger or, a, you know, a big name like Rory or, or Jordan Spieth, you know, the, the interest level drops off. And so that's, that's sort of the challenge being in the golf business today, the, the golf journalism business. It's why we've seen uh, so many newspapers cut back in that area. Um, there's, there's not a lot of go- golf covered in the newspaper realm today, uh, which is a shame. You know, that's how I started, and we just don't see very many golf writers at, at U.S. newspapers anymore. And it's because of shrunken staff and the interest. They've, they've directed their interest more to their local teams than they have to, to a sport like golf, which, you know, I, I, you know, being someone who loves golf, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm dismayed by that. But uh, that's sort of the world we're in now. 
and uh, I'm not sure what can be done about it. Uh, it's why, you know, an ESPN or Golf Channel or Golf.com, uh, you know, other golf websites, why they, that's where their place in the, in the, in the, in the uh, journalism world is today because it's not covered outside of that. So when you look back in terms of finding this passion for golf, though, why caddy? Why, why did you gravitate towards that, and how did you become a caddy? And then eventually ended up you know, earning the Evans Scholarship for caddies to attend Indiana. So how did that come about? Well, you know, it's just funny how do things happen in life, right? It's, not, it's sort of flukish, right? A lot of things, maybe how you, you might meet a spouse or how you might make contact for a job or, you know, just how things happen. But for me, it just so happened that I had an acquaintance, I wouldn't even say a close friend, uh, when I was like in eighth grade who had started caddying at a, at a country club that was near my house only a few miles away. At that point, I had no interest in golf. I knew very little about it. Um, you know, I might have, you know, I'm talking like 13 years old, you know, and I, I might have casually followed it. You know, I, I would have known who Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer and Lee Trevino were and people like that. Uh, but, but as far as, you know, playing or anything like that, I, I, I didn't. And this, this guy told me about, you know, they were looking for caddies at this local golf club called Inverness Golf Club. Uh, in the in the town I grew up outside of Chicago, and uh, uh, you know I went over there. I knew nothing about the game, but they taught you how to be a caddy. They taught you the rules. They taught you the etiquette. And all of a sudden, I started doing this. I started taking an interest in it. And they, uh, on top of that, they then allowed us to play the golf course on Mondays when the club was closed. And so I took an interest in playing. And so you know that that evolved into you know, getting serious about it, actually. I, I uh, you know, by my second or third year, I was picking up the game. I was getting better at it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed the money that a kid was making. Um, you know, it was far better than any part-time job you could have. Uh, I kind of got into playing, even though I never got good at golf. I, I started to enjoy playing golf. And yeah, as you noted, the Evans Scholarship in the Midwest, that's a big deal. Uh, that they, that the club I caddied at, they, they made a, a, a big point of, hey, look, you know, if you stick with this and if you have the grades in school and, uh, you know, you, you have a chance to apply for this seven scholarship, which, as it turned out, uh, you know, was, a, was four years of paid tuition, which I, which I was able to get, uh, you know, and that's, that's life-altering, too. You know, because because uh, you make friends for life, and you're you're part of something that uh, lives on. And obviously, not having student loans and being able to help my parents out with uh, with, with not having these huge tuition bills. To, and I, I'm from from outside of Chicago. I went to an out of state school, Indiana, which obviously we all know going out of state for tuition. I mean. It's very expensive now, but relatively speaking, back then it was very expensive too, you know. So it, um, it, it's, to me, it's ironic that I ended up as a golf writer because, because of all this. But, uh, but those things kind of, you know, set the foundation for me as term, in terms of uh, getting an education, getting a journalism degree, and then getting into the profession as, as it turned out to be a sports writer, and then, lo and behold, you know, a golf writer as well. 
Now, did you take any pride in the movie Caddyshack? And did you have Caddyshack moments of you being paired up with a member and winning the tournament or anything crazy like that? <laughs> Caddyshack is the is sort of the anthem for, for Caddy. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, you know, people people make fun of the movie and everything, but it is it is it is caddying it, it personified. Of course, a lot of it's embellished, but that is what caddying at a country club is sort of like. You have these characters that you caddy for. You have the mischief of the caddy. <laughs> you have the, you know, in some cases, you have the eliteness of the members and the, dis- and the class distinctions between members and caddies. You know, all of that in Caddyshack was embellished to a degree, but anybody who's been a caddy at a country club can certainly relate to the things that went on, and which is why, you know, which is why it made it so good. And, uh, you know, to this day, I think it's a classic. You know, obviously, is it the greatest acting? Is it the greatest this or that? No, but it, it, <laughs> it, captures, it captures a lot of golf. You know, the snobbishness, which I think is, has, has sort of waned. It's not quite that way all the time. If you look at that movie, some of the crazy clothing, you know, um, but, you know, you have doctors and lawyers and all sorts of people coming together to play golf. They have, they have uh, you know, monetary resources. Then you have these struggling caddies just, you know, trying to, trying to get by. And I think, you know, it captures it very well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Caddyshack, no doubt. Same here, and it will stand the test of time because it is a classic. <laughs> Now, when you yep. when you leave Indiana, what's the pathway then to actually getting a job and taking that first step into journalism? Well, you know, back then, it, it, I think it was a lot easier. Frankly, it's a hard field today. I, uh, I, you know, I any, any young person that asks me today, I tell them it's just so much different than when I came out. Um, really, you specialized back then. You were a print reporter. You were a broadcast journalist. It was really distinct. Nowadays, I tell people to to be as versatile and and um, you know diverse and get as much experience in all aspects of it as you can. You know, writing, broadcasting, blogs, podcasts like you're doing, writing long form, writing short stories, uh, you know, being on TV, doing all aspects of it. But back then. I mean, I, I worked at the school paper at Indiana for four years, and although I was exposed to the other aspects of journalism, it became quite clear to me that I was going to go into the print aspect. I was going to, be, I was going to go work at a newspaper or a magazine. That, that was sort of what my, my fact was. And, you know, back then, newspapers were thriving. They, they, there were lots of newspapers. Most towns had two, sometimes three the afternoon paper was sort of going by the wayside at, at that point, but there were still some afternoon papers. I mean, for young people today to understand that is it's hilarious to talk <laughs> people that, 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 but I mean, you know, when there was no internet of, to speak of, there was a section of, of, uh, of people that, that worked overnight shifts in their jobs and they would come home in the morning or mid morning and they would get a paper delivered to their house at 10, 11 a.m. or noon that had more up-to-date news than just what you would have gotten overnight. I mean, if something happened at 6 a.m., it would be in your paper. 
Well, now, of course, the Internet takes that, takes care of that, right? I mean, there's, and that's why newspapers are, they can't be as timely. But back then, you know, it was just, um, uh, I, you know, I, I had a summer internship twice. I had one in uh, Milwaukee uh, uh, after my um, junior year in college. Came back to my senior year, worked at the school paper. I, I happened to be at a great place for journalism. Indiana has a great journalism program. It had great sports programs to cover, uh, including Indiana basketball. And so all of that really helped me because you got thrown into a fire with big-time sports at a young age. And after college, uh, I, I had a postgraduate internship in, uh, in Cincinnati uh, that went for six months. And uh, while that was never meant to last, it, it gave me great experience, and I was able to, um, to then be looking for a job. And it, it just so happened that, uh, that the St. Petersburg Times, now the Tampa Bay Times, had, had a big tie with Indiana. They, 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 just, they recruited there. They, they, um, uh, there, was, there was a link to the journalism school, so I knew people and um, managed to get an interview. And, you know, one thing led to another, and I ended up in St. Pete as, you know, a, a young sports writer doing a lot of different things, thinking I'd lived in Florida for a year or two from the Midwest. I wanted to get back up north. And, you know, here all these years later, I'm still in Florida. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I worked at the St. Pete Times for 20 years. And through that, as I, as I kept going on, the, um, you know, I was, I was more heavily covering golf. Tiger came along. Golf became a bigger deal. And as the Internet grew... It's funny to think, when I started at ESPN.com, which is uh, like 10, 12 years ago, um, they didn't have a full-time golf writer. They didn't have a lot of full-time writers, actually. ESPN.com has been around for more than 20 years, but, but they didn't have a big staff in the early days. Obviously, it's grown immensely since then. So, uh, you know, I just happened to be fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. When, when they were expanding, I had a little relationship with them. I had been doing some freelance work when they didn't have full-time people, and, and, and I, I managed to, to get on there when they were deciding to, to make a bigger jump into golf. So, you know, I, I've been really fortunate in, in, in my time. You know, I came along when there was, uh, you know, there was more demand for, for, for writers. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of newspaper jobs. There were Internet jobs when ESPN came along. So, it's a really tough business, though. You really have to be uh, committed to it and want to do it and be dedicated to it because, you know, just the opportunities are, are seemingly so much, so much less today. And so what does a week look like for you? How much are you traveling? And is there also just this added pressure of trying to get these stories out as quickly as possible because we are in that microwave generation, so to speak, where everybody wants things right now? Well, when I'm... Well, I just I just came off of after the Ryder Cup. I, I covered I went to 20 tournaments this year. Only one of them was local for me. Uh, I live uh, near Tampa, which is near the Valspar uh, Championship. So that's the only tournament all year where I was at home. The other 19, I was on the road. And on those weeks when you're on the road, it's kind of a you know it's kind of a daily thing. You're uh, you're reacting to things, and, and sometimes it's very fast. I mean, I, it, it, the, the idea with deadlines in the Internet is sort of, it's sort of like 
hey, take your time, but hurry up. <laughs> in other words, there's, there's no deadline. There's no deadline like there was in, when I was reading a newspaper. I mean, obviously, there's certain points in the day when you had to be done. With the Internet, you know, the immediacy is so important, especially when there's breaking news. And the, and, and the faster you get something out there, then the more chances are that people are going to read it, uh, which is obviously what the business is about. It's attracting people to, to your stories. And, you know, if an hour goes by, that's a lot of eyeballs missed. And uh, so uh, there is a there's a speed factor that's involved for sure, uh, a pressure to get things done quickly. But yet there's also the knowledge that if you're working on something that requires more time, a feature or a column, you don't have a deadline hanging over your head. Um, they can post it whenever they want. You know, you're not trying to meet a press deadline to a newspaper or a circulation deadline. And and we said I'm not on the road which, you know, this year with Tiger's return and everything was, you know, I, from about June on, I don't think I was home for more than a week at a time. And in those off weeks, you're either reacting to things from afar or you're working ahead on stuff. So, so now I happen to be in this period where there's, it's not as hectic, taking a little bit of a deep breath, um, trying to do a little bit of planning uh, for, for, you know, into, the, into later in the year and into next year. Uh, and then, you know, once, once January 1st rolls around, it's kind of you're back into a, a, a weekly routine. One of the things that obviously that you have to be able to have is access and to be able to get content. So getting access to these players and these tour pros, how are you building that relationship and that trust factor? How do you do that? I just think it comes through time. You know, it's, it's one of the important reasons why in, in our business, it's important to be in person. A lot of, a lot of people in, in, in the media world today are writing from home and, and reacting to things that they see on TV or, you know, just reacting to what they watch, interviews on TV. And look, that's the nature of it for some people. It just can't be helped. But there's no substitute for being there. And if you want, if you want to be able to develop relationships with players and caddies and agents and, you know, officials, you've you got to be there. You've got to be in front of them. And when you're covering a team sport, you're going to be there every day. And so you're going to get to know the key players. Uh, you know, if you're covering a baseball team, you're in that locker room starting in spring training all throughout the year. And, and you establish a relationship almost by default. You have to, you know, the, the players see you every day and they, and you know, they're going to get to know who you are. They, they, typically they're probably reading their local media, but in golf, it's, it's not that way. It's a traveling circus, right? So, you know, they go from city to city and they might not know all the media in each of the towns, but they're, they're going to probably know the national media from being around a lot. And, and I think that builds credibility. And if, and if they, if they happen to see your work or read your stuff or, 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 or hear you asking questions a good bit, um, they start to recognize that, you know, maybe you know a little bit about what you're talking about or you, you certainly are trying to, to, trying to learn by asking the questions. And so, you know, it just takes time. But, but I always say you're, you're, you're not going to be able to get so-and-so's phone number or be able to get him to call you back if he never sees you. And that's so that's the trick, you know, it's uh, it, 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 
it helps a lot to be out there. Well, obviously some outlets don't have the resources to send you. It's expensive to go to all these tournaments, you know. Um, you know, and, and places have travel budgets and things that are in place that, that, that prohibit that to some degree. So I'm fortunate I work at a place that, you know, they, they, they want us to be there and they, they have the resources to do it. And, um, and, it, and it puts you in a, in, a, in, a, in a better position to succeed. And do you ever get to play with those guys? Um, you know, it's rare, uh, you know, every now and then there's a pro-am or there might be an outing or something. Uh, to be honest with you, the last thing I need is for those guys to see my golf game. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I enjoy the perspective of it though. Uh, you know, obviously to get up to, to, to see those guys play. I mean, it's, um, it's a different world. But, uh, you know, those opportunities come along. It, it just depends. I mean, for me, it's pretty rare. But, uh, you know, it, I, I don't want to say it doesn't ever happen, but uh, but not very much. So through the years of covering these guys and covering golf, what's one of your favorite memories? Or if you can, dial it down to one or two favorite memories that you've had. You know, I happen to think that uh, that Tiger's win at the 2008 U.S. Open was you know, just that was that was off the charts. That was about as memorable of of, of a sporting event as, as you're going to find. You know, just the the, the injury factor, the, the fact that he had not played for a couple of months, learning afterward how serious his leg injury was. You know, being able to win, taking it to a playoff, the, the putt he made on the 72nd hole, uh, then beating Rocco Mediate the next day. You know, that was. That was pretty special. It's pretty neat to be there for that. I think uh, his first Masters win was great too. Uh, his first major win, which was at the '97 Masters, I was there for that. Um, I think Phil Mickelson's Open win at uh, Muirfield 2013 was a terrific story. You know, just uh, a, a popular Hall of Famer like him to win at that age when nobody ever thought he could win that tournament. Uh, those are a couple of highlights stand out for sure. And do you have a favorite tournament or a favorite course that you go to each year? Um, you know, I enjoy the Masters every year. I, I just, you know, I just think it's such a neat place, a special place in the game. Um, going there doesn't get old. Um, I probably enjoy the Open, you know, the British Open, just for its uniqueness. Um, I, you know, I just enjoy that type of golf. Love going over there for that tournament. It's just so much different than what we have here. Uh, so that was probably those would be among my favorites. There's certainly tour stops I enjoy. You know, every year uh, when the BMW Championships in Chicago. I mean, that's where I'm from, so I I, I love going there. Uh, you know, there's I, I can't really say there's any that I dislike. You know, that's the kind of neat thing about golf. It's not like you're going to bad places. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, you're going to, you know, you're going to usually nice locales where the weather's decent. And so uh, there's not too many bad ones, but, uh, you know, those would be among my favorites. Well, and as we wrap up here, Bob, I greatly appreciate your time. And one of the things I always like to ask guests is words of wisdom, any type of phrases or mottos or quotes, or even just life advice that has meant a lot to you over your journey that you would like to share. Well, I, I, I can't say it came from any, any one person or, or uh, anything like that, but sort of um, 
and, and, and I have to remind myself all the time. I mean, just sort of uh, you know, try try to appreciate what what you're doing, you know, and 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 look at it for what it is. I in my case, I think there's probably a lot of people that would love to get to do what I do, and uh, you know that's easy to forget sometimes when you're traveling and you got a you got a flight that's delayed or you know you get stuck overnight somewhere or. Uh, your luggage gets lost, or you know you've been on the road for for three weeks, or something like that, and you're you're feeling like you're feeling beleaguered. But you know the bottom line is there's still somebody who would love to be doing what we're doing. I mean, if you know you break it down, it's golf, right? It's 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 writing about golf. It's not the be all end all in the world, and uh, you know to to have a job and get to do that for a living is really pretty neat. And it's all about keeping perspective, right? Absolutely. Yep. No doubt. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining me on my journey here, this crazy podcasting journey. I greatly appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to do it. Opportunities in life often happen when you least expect them. And as Bob mentioned, sharing part of his journey and what happened to almost be an afterthought when he learned about caddying opportunities at Inverness Golf Club as a kid, and that would eventually lead him to now being one of the most respected golf writers. But one thing's for certain for Bob, and with any opportunities in life, it's so important to maintain that perspective of appreciation. Now that finishes episode 86. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 